0: Hello and welcome to the AdNug podcast, the podcast for the Adelaide.net user group. I'm your host, David Gardner. This is the first recording from our April 2019 meeting. Azure DevOps, continuous integration and Docker with Jack Nee. And now over to the presentation. So recently I joined a company um, working uh, in a cybersecurity space. So basically I'm currently a lead developer and a software architect for a Melbourne-based cybersecurity uh, you know, company. The name and the project, because due to the security premises, I'm not allowed to say it. So there's NDA, so it's a bit sensitive industry. So today's sort of uh, trying to share a bit my experience in regarding uh, you know, uh, the day-to-day the problem we're having uh, as a developer, also as a leader developer, and also how we are using toolings to uh, you know, automate processes for example, how we are, uh, you know, using uh, the tooling for doing security check at our libraries, and then how we make sure our code is the following best practice, and then uh, you know, do not introduce vulnerabilities. So pretty much a dev sec and Ops. Um, last month we had a gentleman a really nice day showing us a slide show about the tools and the experience he had. Um, today I'm more about hands-on, so uh, using a, like a demo. 'Cause I'm kind of like a hands on person. I don't like using and just talk. So I just say, here here's the two I'm using, here's how I get things working, and here's how it works. So um, a bit unfortunate I have to say sorry up front there's a two demo currently may not working because the recent Windows update oh actually, lucky that one will work. So uh the recent Windows update um sort of destroyed a little bit my local environment a bit. So that little box has a, a whole cluster running. So it's not just a PC, we have a lot of things. So looks like that just done. And then the other one probably still failing. Um, so uh, I didn't carry this laptop um, last week to a trip, business trip to Melbourne. So when we'll I back the Windows Update, so sort of causing the traum- drama. So right, we have two demo we can we can show today. So that's good. So. Uh, just a couple questions. How many people here using Docker? Not a lot. How many people here are using Team right, um, TFS or sort of similar? All right, that's a lot. Okay, how many of you guys doing like uh, branching policies? It's branching policies, uh, uh, only two. So like a Git flow. of so branching policy, yeah, there's probably a bit more, right? Okay, cool. That's sort of, uh, we can cover a bit. Um, All right, so uh, let's talk about Docker, you know. So why Docker? It's a bit small, I'm sorry, if I can uh, make the font a bit bigger, Uh, hopefully, uh, no, how are we going to make that bigger? Right, may not be working, so, can we do this? No, it's not scaling. Oh, we can, all right. uh, So, Docker is basically, uh, to me, um, a very nice tool for uh, um, wrapping all the packages and build processing uh, in single single small packages. Like, uh, if people use Linux in the past, you know, Linux had very uh, nice distributions that, you know, had packages, you know, some Debian had D, D, V packages, you know, um, uh, like Linux, Red Hat, at a commercial we had a CentOS, had young packages. They're doing really nicely. They have a PGP checking and the checksums. We know sort of lack of it, but you know, when we start building software, and quite often we have a problem with it, hey, the hey, environment guy wants to set up X, Y, Z, but developers do actually yeah, do something different, and quite often they argue very often. So what Docker bring on the table actually let those two people sit down together, talk together. So let's predefine all the configurations. Let's predefine all the contracts before we start rolling things out. And then we come to agreement. And then when we deploy packages, and all the configuration within the packages. So it helps both side merging together. That's why um, these days we quite often hear um, concept of DevOps. But to me, DevOps is culture, not just individual one like a uh, doing jobs do, do that did it. It need to bring. A lot of people on board, you bring the developer on board and you bring the infrastructure people on board. So that's basically a bit high level. And then, uh, okay, so what problem we're facing? Let's talk about that. So uh, first of all, what developers normally do these days? Developers these days are more focused on deliver business process, the business value. They focus on the business process. They wanna run off. code of the, you know, how we are leveraging the other people's work, and help me to do it. So that quite often introduced, we need to rely on needed packages. We need to rely on NPM packages. We need to have a Maven. We need to have a Gradle. We have all sorts of package systems. But how do you know the package introduced does not break the rest of the system, right? So before you actually introduce it. So sometimes as a lead developer, you look after security purposes. How do I know the packages I introduced doesn't have vulnerability? I don't. So, Is there any tool around them to solve that problem? So that's one question. And then this is a part of them. This is my uh, code map. I just really did a very simple one. Uh, Using the SPNet core uh, template to crafting a uh, very simple uh, SPNet core web API projects. I introduced uh, a bit authentication and then add a bit logging systems. And actually, this is all external library. Nothing to do with my code. So that's just graph. So basically, we quite often see uh, that big bubble of library, but we only code that big. So uh, how often you guys are using JavaScript? Very often. Have you ever encountered left pad instance? I think back a couple of years. Any anyone did MPN update, everything all the time breaks, right? That's one of the uh, good example about, okay, so there's a library we trust we normally introduce to our project. We don't have a thing. we just say, hey, we assume it works, right? And all of a sudden it breaks what do we do. So uh, let's talk about a couple common problems. So uh, in the day-to-day. So basically how to encourage the best in places and how to know the library and the packages we're using are reliable. And then as a team, when we off track, is there anything or example can be provided and we can find a reference so that we can still keep following the best practice as we go? And also as a team we want to continuously improve and lift up our standards so we can have agreement on the quality day. So quite often this is what when I was doing consulting, uh, one good example is I went to a organization, there a senior developer there, and there are another senior developer there, quite often they disagree about coding style naming convention. Right, they disagree with each other. And in that result, some of the code will you know, get maintained this way, some of the code get maintained that way. So as this continue, it's overhead of maintenance for the long run. So we need to somehow have a tool, if this is possible, let people reach a con- uh, consensus so we can always follow. Right? So we also like let's argue that's exactly what we talked about. And then uh, we also want the tool be able to Automated process when we start building, it can give us hints. Say, hey, you're off track. Rather than a code reviewer to, to visually eyeballing all the code, that's quite you know to me is a code reviewer should be more focused on the business process, business logic, what it should deliver, rather than say, hey, did this library this guy introduced has vulnerability. It's it's crazy. You can't do it. You know, there's a millions library out there and there's a vulnerability out there and the VCE library is growing every day. You can't just keep up. Like, I think Troy Hound has a, has a database about how many data. It's like 20, something like that. It's massive, right? You just can't keep up that. Like, I found it very frustrating when I start looking at those problems. So, uh, yeah. And then we always want to um, get up to that code, uh, code security check when we actually make sure the code is good. So... For well, my opinions, so the tool I'm using to get things together, I know there's other tools, but I like free tools and open source. So I using Docker as a fundamental building processes and link glue everything together. And I using SonarQube um, as a kind of like a code quality gate, also dependency check platform and reporting platform. And then I'm not sure if you guys heard of something called Coverlet or not. Mm-hmm. So it so far is so far the best experience I had. Like uh, um, the cross-platform um, kind of like uh, 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 what think it's called um, unit test re- uh, code quality report. So it runs anywhere. So like if you're in a Linux, you just build it. It will give you a command line report, and it will give you open cover format XML. So then you can use for reporting other purpose. So that's a very good one. So, Azure DevOps are using the pipeline, there's other aspects that are too big. So, it's more about um, how we are building this check into automations, and we make sure, you know, all developers on track, we are actually improving the code quality, reduce the business overhead for long-term maintenance, you know, how we make sure that the code we actually deploy and we uh, develop are secure. So, there's another one that was really, really awesome. It's called Dependency Check CRI index, so I will share that cross. So that basically is uh, if if you guys go to the OS top ten, there's a Dependency Check CRI on that. That's also cross platform. So in the Windows you have a .bat file, in the Linux you have .sh. So the only problem is the first time you run it, it will try to update the uh, vulnerability library and then try to build a local one. So that takes forever. So that's exactly what I was uh, worried about. May not be able to uh, to do another demo today. So, uh luckily I have that actually built. So uh, well, that's my dependency report actually just done. So uh, so give you guys a hint how the first tool looks like. Um, so uh, this is how SonarQube looks like when it's fully running. So I'm basically, SolarCube is running Docker content at the moment. That's why I introduced Docker first places because I want my new process can run anywhere. So this thing can be uh, running in Azure DevOps. I can easily migrate the whole thing, only maybe a little bit YAML file to Azure uh, or AWS code commit. I have an uh, example actually uh, on the Big Bucket. Uh, so I need to log in. So using the same processes, um, and uh, also can using that things as a, an on-prem processes. So basically, you will see, when I show you guys the pipeline, my uh, my entire uh, CI processes only have like, one or two steps, Docker build. So the Docker build will glue together Sonar quality scan, your code building, you're running a your unit testing, and then produce your unit test report on in one go. So anything fail, the build process fail, So that, you know, um, saved a lot of people to actually code reviewing. So the code review I said, to me and my more should more focus on business logic delivery and business value. Non-functional you know, requirement should be passed on the tools if possible. So uh, these things um, currently telling me there's uh, 20 code smells, and then uh, coverage is 32, you know, 0.6% and duplication there. That is a basically got de- de- deliberately creating a very, 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 very bad code base. Um, Run a lot of duplication and there's very, very less coverage. So it will tell you, okay, as a trend, so duplicate line is 4.3 between the uh, between the uh, first commit and next commit. They'll tell you, okay, there's eight new lines that, uh, added but you don't have a lot of coverage. And there's about two hours there. That's also based upon the, uh, you know, um, half-hour line of code, that's a unique metrics you can set it up. So uh, the, uh, that's basically the sonar cube part and it also has this awesomeness thing as a SonarCube uh, OS plot 10 building. So it will run through a code, it will tell you, okay, do you have uh, A1 injection broken or sanitation those problems in your code base or not? Um, and then it will give you open, open. sometimes the open is a bit uh, false positive, as uh, this just gives you the warning, say hey look, here is a potential thing that could happen, Right? you like for this, make sure you are uh, that exposing HTTP endpoint is safe here. So I know it's safe because I want this thing in a the container, there's a and genetics front end and do the all stuff, so you can actually suppress these things by running your own configuration to load it in there. And this will tell you um, which OS, you know, top 10 is following um, on that part. So uh, to get to the report, so uh, get that running. This is my uh, Docker Compose script. If people are not familiar with a Docker and Docker Compose, this is a bit boring, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Zoom a bit. Huh? Let's zoom a bit. All right, cool. Let's see if I can uh, make it a bit. How you do that in the uh, control plus. plus, is it? All right, good. So, right, that's too big. <laughs> so in here, like I said, if people are a bit boring about um, Docker and Docker <laughs> Compose, this could be a bit problematic uh, to understand, but I encourage people to just start looking at it. So what it says, okay, I have a really couple of services, um, the DB, is uh, Postgres 10, and I have two volume, so uh, a couple volume. So what it does is uh, say, restart, so one, uh, it will actually self-healing, if things failing. so it does in one variable, basically uh, post, uh, passing Postgres, you then password, and the DB is called Sonic for all the rest of it. just very simple. Um, this is the gotcha here. Now, um, for, people using SonarCube, they quite often, um, this is especially happening on Windows system, they try to get the uh, uh, like updates, if you're using Docker, to be installed, without re- building the entire like a uh, Linux system, or without building the entire SonarCube instance, you try to use Docker. It's quite often, the volume, volume up, will causing a lot of, lot of pain. I've been experienced that. So, the more often that's happened that one, so you need to be careful about the version of Sonocube will pull down. Sometimes the JRE environment will give you a bit of trouble. So, and then in the Windows, that that, that part, if you have a space, it might fail. That's how Windows, like uh, I couldn't find out any uh, reason why, but when you do the, the Windows system, if you have extra space in between them, it not happy. Linux, fine. Because uh, Linux uh, is a proxy-compliant uh, file system, Windows is not. So that's a little bit dramas here. So in here, I basically open this port and then link these two images together, and that there you go. You have this <coughs> cube running in my uh, counting environment, and I'm also using Potana to as, a, as another high-level tool to managing all the. Uh, um, images containers uh, on my laptop, which is currently running a bloody cluster anymore. So uh, I have uh, about hundreds of images, I believe. Um, Yeah, it's working quite well. Um, So now let's go back how we are writing Docker script to execute the build process. So uh, let's find out my script. Open folder. Uh, sync was this guy. Okay. Yeah. Open? Right. Okay, I'm not sure whether you guys can see that clearly or not. The resolution on my PC is horrible at the moment. So basically, uh, this is updated, should be updated to 2.2 um, because 2.1 has VCE availability in there. So if anyone got you guys still using .NET Core runtime 2.1, I suggest you guys opt out uh, using 2.2 because Microsoft patched it, and I patched that system a couple, I think about two months ago. Um, that's basically a label you know, from that view. Now this, this step is very important. Um, this is our learned the Lesson Hard way. So basically from a Microsoft, there was Debian as a build. Uh, that is a Debian. So that thing does not have JRE installed. So uh, you need to install JRE ahead of this mode by itself because SonarCube will require that as hard dependency. When you don't have this step in and you try to run SonarCube, it won't complain too much but will give you an error. Really confusing. The error is basically telling you nothing. It's a like, hey, Process value, your configuration wrong. So, what configuration? You don't know. And then the way I, I find out is I go through the digest from a Docker uh, container at the runtime digest, I find out, I was, ah, that was missing. So, this is very important. And then uh, that is also important step. <coughs> so, that will install globally inside the container as a solar scanner dependency, which will rely on that one. So now, these two processes will take a long time, very long time. Especially that one, because it does the update and everything. So if people in here, not like me doing experiment, are actually using these things in your normal day-to-day build processes, I would suggest to you guys actually using a base images. So create a base image based on the, uh, the build uh, SDK images and mold it in, All right? So there you have the speed, because that thing's pulled down. And wrap up, and then do the rest of things just be quick. And in here, I'm actually running unit tests. Uh, so I comment it out because I don't want that as a release configuration. And I say, okay, when I run unit test, I want to, you know, collect the coverage, and then uh, output as open cover. So here I put a comments because I was wondering which part will give me more performance. If I have cover MS build, uh, installed Nuke packaging my unit uh, test project, that means I don't need to do it here. If I don't have that, that means I have to do it here. So, either way. So, sometimes I'm not sure, I haven't been convinced, depends on your team. If your team are okay with a unified uh, unit test reporting tooling, um, I would suggest installing here because that's centralized managed. So otherwise, each team can have its own version of things for get upgrade, or each project can have its own sense. So if you have those things there, building the base packages, you can manage yourself. Right, so centralized. Mm-hmm. So it depends on flavor about how you want to augment the team. So that one's there. And then this is also step, very important steps. Um, <laughs> .NET build, um, quite often, will do a file I'm not sure whether you guys experienced or not. So when the file log happened, carry nothing until the next build executed and I said, hey, look, I can't modify this folder for yellow yada yada readers. So I found out just run these things, queue a heading you know, process build, and then I will reque it. This is about like uh, less than a second, you know, build, you know, a performance sacrifice, so I don't get bothered. And then the rest of just eating, you know. Setting up the uh, um, setting up the uh, the environment path to point to the uh, uh, Donnet sonar scanner tool, which we installed here, that guy, and then uh, run the uh, solar sonar scan. So that's basically if you're looking at the documentation by SolarQ, that will say, okay, that's your project key, and that's your URL. And I'm suggesting people, if you do these things, which I did, production, build processes, uh, doing this in a separate file or environment file, basically, then you can, you know, injection. So you do a docker build dash env, whatever, you can inject that build process to make your dynamic remote. And then here is the folder structure you need to work out, account folder, where you want dependency report, base app, And then uh, also the coverage report, where you want that be. So then basically Donut build and SonarScan, which this part will upload all the files to your SonarCube instance. So uh, hopefully this uh, will give me a, a nice build. Let's just do one. So, uh, let me have a look yes. at yeah, I mean, I'll do that in a big screen. Yeah. Uh, right docker. Yeah. docker file uh, network because you you guys don't need to have to do this if you, you have the uh, um that summer cube running on separate instance so up cool, it's going. Hopefully, uh, I can still get my network off my phone. Otherwise, yeah, it, it does. Yeah, so basically, start collecting the setup. Um, like I said, this will take a bit. But it's running unit testing now. should go. No, yep, it's going. So, Jack, are you running SonyQ... In container. Uh, is it, is it in-, in a separate container. So this thing can, like this, that's what the, uh, um, what come give gives you. Very nice one. So, so far I was uh, initially trying to search and say, hey, is there any tool that can give me a nice report? And then I don't need to be restricted on either Windows or Linux or Mac or whatever. So I did a big Google research. I found out that one is uh, very, very nice. So, so far uh, my experience is the best I have ever had. So now it's restarting. Hopefully, uh, my, uh, <laughs> my bandwidth still has to do So I think then yeah, it was go Yeah, in here yeah. I already give you a suggestion for what you should do. That's basically uh, the very bad code example mm-hmm. I'm putting there is so, like has a Tennessee level, a lot of duplication of So go get the things, and then there okay, you go, finished. So it will takes about seven-ish seconds. So if you have that base image wrapped up and then you have a very fast internal like 10 on my phone, it's only a couple of seconds. And then this will give you a quality guide about the quality. You can set up notifications on the cube. So uh, basically uh, you can uh, have uh, an administration here and then set a lot of, um, uh, where is that? Guy. You have webhooks, um, you can receive notifications. So in here, you can create a webhook to your Slack channel or Microsoft Teams, to your team say, hey, look, someone failed, uh, someone killed a build in the PR and then mm-hmm. that guy introduced a vulnerability. So first of all, PR will be blocked. PR will not even get processed. It will give the notification. So so the, the tool I like is not about give you a bit better time for looking. Things actually quite opposite. I like the tool because it telling me the best practice. So if I'm looking at one of these failed, so look at the code smell. It will tell you, say, hey, remove the comment. You know, you shouldn't put comment there. And sometimes it will give you this thing. So And a the constructor or static keywords, the class iterations, basically telling you, hey, the way you're doing it is not following the best practice. As you know, sometimes if you're using a very functional, you don't need to do dependency injections because, you know, static is more efficient to give you this hint. And then also it will give you, um, let's see, there's uh, one good example, I think. Uh, they tell you to remove local and use local variable. They tell you to refactor <coughs> that bit. Um, try to find out one of the uh, Yeah, not this one. This one is a bad example. Let me uh, find another guy. So let's have a look at that one. Uh, so let's have a look at that one Yeah, it will tell you, say, hey, look, you know, this same cha- uh, the same changes is to simple, uh, can simply inherit its behavior. You do they tell telling you the naming conventions. So, and quite often, if you do dependency injections crazy, it will say, hey, you introduce psychometric complexity. Your code has a two, two deep nested dependencies. Try to make it flat. So, basically, it will tell you, say, in your object-oriented design or software designing, you should be using more composition pattern rather than inheritance pattern. So that's sort of concept. It's pretty handy. I like that, so quite often I'm using this tool to check my code. Yeah. Where does you get the rule set for this stuff? Nice, good questions. Very good questions. The rule set actually get very, up, or always updated, and then you can actually go uh, get them. So you can actually create your own, by the way. So let's have a look at the profile. So currently, let's go get sold away. So you go to the cube, you can download the rule set. So what you've seen here, what you've seen here, is actually mapped to the rule set or downloaded. So I'll show you this. Uh, where is it? Where is my Docker folder? <coughs> I have too many compose files. I need to find out the wrong one. There go. That is the guy. So, uh, the viewing Explorer. So there's all those rule set you can basically go there and then you can tweak them. It doesn't not have to be like the rule set that's based upon them. So you say, look, according to Microsoft, for example, some of the naming convention or company naming conventions, I like to be have a private read only, uh, you know, fields has underscore uh, upfront, right? Some people like to just yeah, I don't like it. I just use an str whatever as a string. You can all have those rule set by yourself. Yeah. Can you run those locally? Yeah, you can. You can. Okay. You can. That's Actually, in fact, this all run locally on my PC because it's containerized. So you basically grab the images, and dump and so Docker Compose run. It will suck. It will suck those things in when first run. You created the uh, initial database on the uh, Postgres locally. You can volume, up, uh, volume map, it and then uh, load that up. But on the other hand, you can always upgrade. So where is the marketplace? So you can always upgrade. See, I have uh, Ansible uh, uh, update. So in the past, the Ansible was out there. Have you guys heard of Ansible things that de- deployment methodology? Yeah, yeah. So I used that in the past. So, this thing can analyze uh, Ansible, by the way. So if you introduce some weird syntax or some not suggest the best practice by Red Hat, this will give you the link. So basically, the concept about those things are using linting, like ESLint, T S linked, you can set up your own linking group. So yeah. Um, so uh, <coughs> the other tool I was talking about is a uh, dependency OS top ten dependency check CR, this is the tool I'll talk about. Uh here, just I really like this guy. This guy has that tooling linked to the VCE International Library to get the vulnerability library downloaded. That's why he was suggesting every time you want to build these things, uh, make sure you, uh, you, the first time it will take long, you run periodically every two weeks because it will sync to expose the vulnerability So How I found the, uh, like a couple months back, I was working for another organizations, we deployed a containerized solution for um, Donet Core. So that time was Donet Core 2.1, and I got my notifi- notification from the solar system I built. This sent me an email say, hey Jack, um, we found the vulnerability of X, Y, Z things by that guy, and I got a notification for what need to be patched, and I you know, get a patch, so this thing can also get updates. So how that report looks like, I think I just run the first one, hopefully it's not that ugly. Uh, my thing was a bit destroyed by Windows Update. Uh, that's the report. There you go. So this showing me, okay, so there's evidence count, CPE confidence, CPE count. So basically, I run that whole uh, um, dependency check against the very bad code base which I've used at that way. So telling me, okay, PKC flow, you have five five, four, six things. And then uh, what are these things? What are dependencies? It will tell you. Um, and I will do uh There should be another one, something big. Right, that one's good, actually not that bad. Interesting. Right. Yeah, this is the base pump, so uh, you're telling me, so okay, um, the library's base pump, the last update is which is a, uh, oh, that's today, that's what I take on. So vulnerability down zero, dependency scan 17 for the small project, you know. So I run this report against one of the legacy projects think uh, back then, before, I don't know, in our nation, they, they were thinking about, wow, oh, our code is good because we spent three and a half years rebuilding everything. That was a uh, half years back. And when I run up, they shock shocked about a lot of backbone library, especially with NPM packages. So, so this will pick them up. And that's free. Not like the other day, we're talking about sync uh, things like, uh, you know, very expensive tooling. you have to pay subscription. All you need to do is just run your own script using this tool, and it's offering. You can get this report by itself. So this is quite. part of course this, X unit will expose someone, but it's because it's using reflection to pick your unit test. So that's quite normal. This this is sort of, to me, the uh, false positive. You can also suppress false positive here. And then how to read the report, they will give you all those things. Um, yeah, so that's basically the command to execute is actually very easy. You get these things down. Um, hopefully, I forget that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's insert. It's That's it. So, for the stuff I build, um, if in the Docker, I like Linux, so in there I'm just using curl, I curl the package down. And then it does things as SH so projects and whatever. Mm-hmm. And scan, that means the count. So basically you can set these things at the environment variable. So if you have a dedicated build host, you don't want to maintain these things, or the build server, you install that at wherever that uh, package is, put in or, you know root pass imam um, variable and you can execute So that's sort of the way, after I run these things, it gives me a bit confidence about, okay, the library I'm using actually is good. It doesn't expose very, uh, international wide vulnerability, and then uh, the code I'm doing is following the best practice as we go, and then we can continue improving it. So sort of, i covered the, uh, the way using Docker and SonarQube, and these Solar SonarQube is big, it's a beast, so don't get me wrong, it's quite complex to get everything set up properly, especially your dependency scanning, the quality gate, if you want to use quality gate for the team or for the organization, because Sometimes say, look, the harder rules that my unit test must be eighty percent. My unit test must be hundred percent. To me, sometimes adjustable. Like why you need to unit testing a math function which already been tested. You know? To me unit testers should be more focused on the function you run. So any business logic, more module, hundred percent coverage. Other than that, the library of basic. If this thing passed, you know, be practical. So sometimes this is over it, ha- it, it can be, so yeah. Currently, I think I'm using the uh, uh, community editions. That you that can you can purchase it, and they can also purchase that. That will give you the capability to link your code repository. But if you're using Docker, seriously, why are you need to pay extra money? Yeah, because it's gives to you. You have these things there. My entire PR process goes through that and give me the report. all I needed that report. So link with the repository, I don't need it. So you, you just basically use it for free in production because I can use it. I need it. no problem. So that's why I like free tools. All you need <coughs> to do is this scriptifier. Um, mm-hmm. So <coughs> yeah, that's very very good uh, what, uh, sort of things dependency check. I think this guy is a, has also Google Group, so I quite like it. Now let's talk about How I make all these things happen, that still, as I said, it's based on my own things, as part of our build processes. So uh, I'm very strictly following Git flow because it works and it's very easy to manage. So therefore, I have very strict branching policy uh, for the team. Not that crazy strict, but you know. I normally have a policy against develop master. I have release and I have features. That's how normally I set it up in the production system. So release is always handling releases. That's two-way merge back to master and then develop. Once it gets out. So now, how many people are using this thing in the moment? Like how many people actually really do Git flow and tagging? No, no. So how are you tracking what you de- de- deployed? <clears throat> without tagging properly? So how do you know the code you deploy in production is uh, you know trace trace back who did last commit? So in our production any any commit that we do that's taken for a, for a building is tagged as a, a version number. Okay. So uh, yeah, so this is the the that things I like it. Uh, so i also using tagging. So I use tag very heavily in, in this thing. So I have a tagging system. So this a lot of way you can do it. You can do a semantic way. You can do default Microsoft out of box way. And you can do your manual way or whatever. So I like kind of in both ways because to me, <coughs> um, software release um, and then... Uh, Application release are two concepts same, are two different concepts. So software release quite often are more cloud-facing. You can have application release one, two, three, four, five, six, but after UAT or whatever QA process you have, the QSA or the business decides: look, we don't want to release this app, we want to release the other one now. So that's actually two concepts. So in the normal process, I actually run into a bit. Disagreement with a couple of team when I was consulting, people said, well, we just want to use it one way of release. And then when they become iterative release, they, they lost control of so, us. Oh, what's up? Oh, I don't know, I need to go check. What's up? I don't know why I need to check. So what I was sort of thinking, okay, you still have your kind of uh, CICD kind of concept, but when it actually releases it, how about you push a tag and using tag to trigger? That gives the capability about or well gives the capability to the people or release manager to decide which version, software version they want to use for. So you basically can set up a tag release. So that's a bit tricky. You don't find the document on a Microsoft website, because I was initially trying to figure out Jenkins said that thing out of the box. So you can actually can do find out merge. That thing doesn't, but it well, done out of the box, you can configure in a certain way. Think what I have. Hopefully, I have something here. It is a release build. Let's have a look at that. Come on. Like I said, my build process is simple. Docker clean up. Make sure I don't have a dangling images on the build host. Otherwise, every time Docker build, we're creating onion layer of images. And then, quite, a, quite often, the image is referenced, nothing, it just occupies this space. I write a bash script, just whooped that and then Docker build. That's all my build. That's all my build. If I want to really properly pro- release to a, uh, a registry, I have Docker publish. That's it. So, my entire build process is so simple without like too much hassle. And in here, yeah, that's sort of. The way out of box Windows, well, like uh, level gives to you, build context a kind of route route, uh, um, route is a common root. If your root, your root folder is set up like that way, um, kind of master. And then the way there is a way you can trigger um, that. Let's have a look. So this is a this is a tricky bit. What rip tag means is you can actually push in tag. Without pushing any code, quite often release manager can. well, We give the release manager this capability. Then they can type in whatever they want, and then this will get tagged like that way. Right? So for a lot of releases, let's just say we're creating 15 releases a day, and then we only want that release gets out to our client because that's get tested, the most stable one, right? Even there's a later on, there's a couple one that new feature introduced, not stable. We don't want it, so we only want that one now and then this is the capability for the release manager to, okay, I want to just tag this release as what I want documented, what we agreed to the bins. It will just push that. So that's sort of a bit tricky. Yeah, I learned a bit of lessons, but eventually I found, out, oh, it's not easy. So, so uh, that's pretty much it. And then test plan is basically you run integration test, but what I found out is that if Have you guys heard of Selenium, Selenium? Yes, you can build Selenium in the Docker build as well. Yes, so I don't have the example here, unfortunately it's had on my Mac, so I can't carry too many pieces to have it. So what I did is uh, one Docker artifact, build processes, I just have a, a temporary registry in there, dump that image there, and then the selenium will, i have another docker build process put selenium well put the initial um, artifact there and run selenium against the inside docker content. you can also do that so that basically has extra docker step your entire build process three steps done and for for that you you don't not limited on this one Amazon code commit runs um and that guy also runs i think I have hopefully uh Take a look. Uh, signing. Let's uh, sign in that one. I was the other day playing with a bit bucket for Docker. So and i and eventually found out the Bitbucket bucket online is a Docker inside of Docker, which is not really suggestible because the Nest virtualization it gave me a big problem in terms of permission, but I eventually get these things working. So what's wrong with that? Is that my internet's off? Oh, come on. Right, All well, right, so same build steps, same build process, same build file. All right, okay, logging to continue. Yes, I'm logging to continue. Please, let me in. so not happy. Isn't it? All right, let me <coughs> for this session a session bit. don't tell me my internet dead. Come on. As someone non-technical Jack, it's reassuring to see you frustrated by a computer. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's also tethering the phone, so uh, I probably can't understand. Oh, look, that has something. I might be able to find out a screenshot I had the other day on my LinkedIn. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, I still wanted to see that thing. It's pretty cool. Like uh, you don't <clears throat> you don't change it too much. It it just works out of box. Right. Yeah, what would it dead. solutions, what's wrong with that? No, not this guy. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So let's log in. Oh, finally. Come on. It's not that internet is slow today. Following follow the picture, It'll be easy. <laughs> Let's see if I have a picture. I'm linking. Uh, where I? How do you see your activity? I think. Oh, come on. Yeah, anyway, that process. All you need to do is uh, there's a YAML file called the pipeline for um, for the uh, uh, bitbucket. All you need to do is uh, naming your Docker file. And then uh, your kind of context. Being mind, when you're using the bucket online, they're actually provisioning a Docker for you already. So you're actually building Docker inside a Docker. So when you copy across your kind of context, is different. That's what the problem I was initially hit. It would just say, hey, I can't find the file. The file is there. What's going on? That's all the error message you get. It's very confusing. Um, so. Uh, what I'll do is I'll probably turn off the tethering and re-tethering back. That could be the internet problem. Yeah, now that makes sense. So. Right. Maybe we can do that later on because uh, of doing pizza time, Does this thing takes forever. Mm-hmm. So any questions? No questions. Really? So, Jack, with your So you're doing your radio development. Yeah. you actually been doing it with you, Wi-Fi, Docker? No, I'm not actually. So what I normally do is I have a build host, right? The build host normally have a Docker, especially a Cube already in there, running. So the Docker only, the Docker build only queue is the build script associated with the project. So the way you can really augment these things is you don't want everything in one because currently, if I show you guys how many images this box has, as lucky I have a very powerful box. Have a huge amount of images, so, uh, that many. So talking about ten, maybe ten sort of giga-ish images on my local boxes. So normally you don't need to do that in the same. You don't, and then I'm not encourage anyone to do that because it's crazy. So normally the the premises are set up for a quite big organization. Um, it's t- talking about four billion dollar transaction every year. That uh, that organization is a. Uh, I get them to have an AWS, uh, a Docker host, to host a cluster of cube. So I get there. I don't know the benefit. We they like half of it in AWS, half of it in Azure. So I will try to merge them, politic and then quick. <laughs> so let's like just say I have that, and then the, we're using Azure DevOps. So what I have is uh, the we have a cube maintaining that end. My build house will have a base image, like I, I suggested, so where everything is in there. So normally, because I was a lead developer, I quite often inspect, is there any update, need requirement to opt in opt out some certain library sort of things. So we have that, and then the rest of things, the developer only need to write Docker script for what they need. So basically unit test, yes, we have to have that. And then because we're using Linux or Docker to build it, we guarantee there is no uh, um, ID dependency, which work out really well because mm-hmm. the artifact is small. You don't introduce some like Visual Studio reference to to the build process. Like uh, um, you, you basically using TFS on prem. Sometimes you have to install in the Visual Studio quite often like that, and you don't need to do that because if you introduce uh, um, uh, ID dependency, your build fail. So if you are uh, not running unit test, your, your build fail. So it saved me a lot of time, rather than me eyeballing everything, and this thing gave me a report every day. I said, like, oh, okay, I need to update this, good. I'm gonna do this bit. So it enabled me to do more coding than I used to be. <laughs> so I see a lot of benefit of it. So that's sort of thing. You don't need to have that. You fire up Docker is when you want to do a build. On, a, on like a credit PR, you uh, like a credit PR or you do a code release merge. So you do a Docker build. You're locally, I quite often suggest a local developers, so developers you know, set up the entire um, environment towards the same as the productions. So talking about mm-hmm. RAM and Q cluster, you can complete the Dockerizer. We talk about SQL, complete the Dockerizer. We can talk, we talk about Redis cache, we can complete Dockerizer, right? And then the things that it's all controllable. So when the new developer on board, he doesn't need to build everything. All you need to do is a Docker host, Here's a Compose script or Compose script if you do Kubernetes, right? Check it in, we evaluated it, with all set up there. And you just pull down and docker Compose run off using Helm to spin it up. And then all sets. So the typical time saving is I was challenging one of my mates the other day when so I in Melbourne said, hey, how often you install SQL Server for developer? Oh, very often. Okay, cool. We're still automating, we're using images. Okay, cool. How long does that take you to provisioning a SQL server, configure for developer. Ah, uh, the quickest is about 15 minutes. Cool. Do you want to try this one? So he end up trying, same network speed, he get that thing finished in one minute. <laughs> with a SQL server, redis, all the stuff, just up. I said, whoa, yeah, that's basically you deal with. So if you're using this technology. And the other thing is the saving resources. So in the past, thinking about your build, you have to have a dedicated server to do it. No, you don't. You have a Docker host, you just spin up a, Image in just there. So the only one thing I think we should pay a bit attention, or is the uh, ah no wonder it was tried using my old company. So that's why is uh, every time Docker build it will generate artifact, which which is a part of the byproduct called dangling images. So these dangling images were accumulating very, very, very quickly. So if you do a very perfect break, for example, a build, for example, we are automating CR, every developer checking PR, every time PR trigger build, and it, it will occupy your disk space so quick. So that's why you see the bash script I had is actually kill all the dangling images. Um, basically free disk space. Uh, hopefully uh, I still have here somewhere. <clears throat> Yeah, that's it. So you don't need to do crazy. So be practical. That's normally what I do. And then even uh, some of these things, I suggest your fundamental um, backbone infrastructure, still using VM rather than the uh, the Docker. The reason why I'm saying so is uh, the volume mount works okay in Linux. If you have a production system, which is Windows, you're gonna have a nightmare. Every time Windows update, like I had this morning, well, I don't know where this morning or yet, last night, it sometimes destroy your environment. So <coughs> unless you show sure, your your entire environment Linux, you guarantee that. And always keep up that. Otherwise, I suggest your backbone still try to using VM, but you can completely shipping your entire um, application layer using container. So that's sort of what I actually achieved for an organization. So when you're developing <coughs> remotely, like in exchange, mm. in market, mm. does that spin up the topic? No. No, you can. You can do so by uh, mm. modify the properties and then do interrupt. The thing the thing I find out a problem is Visual Studio like to introduce something its own flavor, and uh, quite often that dependency of the IDE. So you run moment, if you spin up a Visual Studio, say I want to um Think the new template allow you to create a SPNet Core app with the capability of Docker. So all of a sudden, give you everything, right? It's a property, and if you pay a bit of attention about your CSR approach on the property, oh, that part of the script is very nasty. You <laughs> you don't want that, and the study changes will break stuff. Now that leads to the question about how to debug. Quite often, you probably say, "Hey, how to debug?" So uh, <clears throat> now debugging is a uh, interesting topic when you do the content lighting because you're shipping images. So my suggestions as a practical way is you do reverse proxy, or oh, kind of like reverse tunnel. So you have a let's just say you have a system in the production. That's also if you are in security <coughs> promises like what I always add, the developer do not have access to production system. No access to database, no access to the server. You can't remote, you know, kind of a remote debugging. You can't drop the PDP, uh, PDP file in there and then link that we can't. So what I do is, okay, cool. If you have a couple server in there, let's set one server as a port forwarding reverse tunnel back over SSH. So in here, I'm using party SSH to catch that. Basically, the real-time traffic on that one I will redirect to my local box. You can you can debug in from that way. It's a bit tricky, but that's sort of the trade-off you have to do for a bit over security purposes. So that's what I actually did uh, for a kind of a payment aggregation project when things happen. So that's how I did it. So pretty much it, that's, I covered most of it. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a, a bit bucket. I'm not sure it's uh, still going or not. <laughs> yeah, still going. <laughs> So that could be a if <coughs> funny things happen to my either PC or sticky sessions things like that. But yeah, that's pretty much it. So uh, very uh, so many things hands-on. I will basically share what I have on the GitHub so everyone can have free to have it play. Um, and the script seems is simple. I um, can also put it GitHub as well. That's pretty much about. It. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned before about the end versus. Yes. So, what are some of the guidelines you use around making that decision? Yeah. So, for example, that's a very good question, by the way. So, one of the things is like make sure your operating system in there, right? So, Docker because uh, uh, under the hood is a namespace process isolation. If you're talking about operating system layer, right? Windows out of box does not have that capability built in. Even we have Hyper-V, right? So basically, (coughs) make everything get hosted. But Windows internal does not do that. Not like Linux, everything's managed by. It. That's why I'm currently writing a lot of uh, security part of algorithm and uh, for file systems, So basically, project I'm currently is around that. I have I run into big problem with Linux file system. Oh, well, sorry, Windows file system because it's not proxy compliant. So uh, POSIX. Uh, so Windows has its own way. Of course, we we have to adopt it in a certain way. So I'm writing abstraction layer. So, in that also results, sometimes as uh, Docker is natively Linux, when the volume map, the permission, all the rest of non-proxy compliant things could screw you over. And then, quite often, because Docker is also a packaging system, right? You rely on other people. So, very often, you, mm-hmm. if, if you're thinking, yeah, uh, you pull from uh, official uh, Docker images. For example, I pull the Sonocube images, uh, I pull Microsoft images. How could I missing JIE uh, dependencies? You don't, you don't know until you actually inspect each docker file, I said, oh, yeah, it's come from uh, Upanto Bionic, so that's had the official support. Oh, this is a uh, Debian, we can't using production, we have to use CentOS. Sometimes you have to, it's very various. That's sort of the guideline you're looking at, so it depends on your premises of uh, your operating system, and you make decisions based upon that. So, and also, thinking about using NTFS or ZFS which was more secure. And that also give you a bit another way funny experience when the volume mount tried to do the data store. It's talking about we're using container IC code, for example. Yeah. Right. So, so all those things are actually factored in. So it's not an like easy saying we have to do this or we have to do that. It's really need to assess the environment and then make decisions. So unfortunately no quick answer. Yeah. No problem.